This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Very nice. I'm glad you got it. Very nice. At first, I was just vibing because right, I mean, it's Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Gaye is just he's amazing. fantastic. One of my all timers. But there's a purpose. Then you go. That's that's <laughs> outstanding. Victoria on the ones and twos. I'm Adam Gold. This is the Adam Gold Show. And if you stay, actually, one of the questions I'll actually just mention it now because uh, somebody asked me on Twitter last night, uh, do we have to stay up for the Kane's uh, Corner podcast? Uh, or can we go to bed? Right. And I just responded, well, I don't really have the option. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not making anybody do it, but I'll be there. Right. So it's It'll up be to, there whether you want it like live or sleep and then get I in mean, the morning. I, the majority of the people listen to it like uh, when normal people would listen to <laughs> yeah. it. But it's there if you want to. We yeah. were, we're talking to like most of Australia now anyway. Uh, we were on the air at like uh, 345 uh, PM in the afternoon in Adelaide. Oh wow! And that, Wonder what oh, that yeah. feels like. Big time, <laughs> big time. Anyway, hurricanes defensively are a little bit of a mess, and to help me maybe sort through it, my friend Luke DeCock of the News and Observer, who joins us on Fridays. Um, I mean, the numbers are the numbers, and the numbers are gross. And Rod Brindamore is kind of baffled by all of it, and uh, they have to get this sorted out. And it's not going to get any easier tomorrow in Colorado. Do you have a theory? Other than it's just five games, which is fair. Yeah, I mean, I think there's it's just five games, but I think there's some kind of specific things we've seen. One, Auntie Ranta hasn't played very well, especially mm-hmm. at the start of a couple games. Um, in a five-game sample, that's a big deal. Um, right. Obviously, the the seven 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 pairing is just not working. And um, I think, you know, we're going to see in the long term, We, you and I had this conversation on the first day of training camp. Yep. I think Jalen Chatfield's a better fit for Dimitri Arlov than Tony D'Angelo. I think Jalen Chatfield earned the right to play ahead of Tony D'Angelo last year. And if you're going to talk about culture all the time, that's something you need to respect. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is we saw it last year with Brent Burns. We saw it with Dougie Hamilton. Uh, it's really hard to come into the system when you're not used to playing. And so I think we're seeing that right now for Dimitri Orlov. You know, I think the, the the things the mistakes he's made that are less understandable are his inability to get his shot through it not just on the shorthanded goals where it's become such a a big deal but just even at even strength there are a lot of times where he has what looks like an open lane and the puck just comes right back at him so I don't know whether that's something that Tim Gleason can work on him with obviously it's not something you've seen over the course of his career um, it may just be five games of bad luck but I don't know that I've ever seen a defenseman have more shots ricochet straight back at him and past him. Um, than what's happened to Dmitry Arlov. So to answer your right. original question, yeah, I think a little bit of it is five games. Um, a little bit of it is the impact of goaltending is a little bigger in those five games. Um, you know, I, I think Adi is going to be fine. He's off to a bit of a run. Yeah, and the truth is, uh, Piotr Kachetkov, I thought, right, I think uh, Kachetkov came in and played well. Um, hopefully Freddie Anderson will be ready to go tomorrow in Colorado, but if he's not, I'm all about watching 52 uh, take a swing, so to speak, at the Avalanche. And, I mean, if you're not playing well, especially defensively, that's probably the wrong team to deal with, deal with at, this, at this point with their speed, uh, not only up front, but their speed on the blue line, which is absolutely game-changing. Uh, just to uh, specific to uh, 
the three-man weave on, on the third defensive pairing. The D'Angelo Orloff, I I actually don't think the problem is D'Angelo, I th- right? Like, people think that we're blaming Tony. I'm not. If we were starting the two players of the three who was playing the best, we'd probably be starting Chatfield and D'Angelo. Um, Tony was not, he, Tony couldn't bail Orloff out, in my opinion. What we have seen over the first uh, five games of the season is that when problems have arisen, it's Tony really couldn't bail Orloff out where I think Chatfield can. Um, and plus minus is a skewed stat anyway, but minus 10 matters, I think, on this team. And because it's not just the empty net goals, and I think Orloff's been on the ice for three of the empty net goals because at the end, he's an offensive player, so you want him, you want him out there. But the two shorthanded goals, to me, it's the first one is more about the decision than anything else. He had no cover behind him, and he wasn't at the blue line. He was down almost at the top of the rings when he took the shot that got blocked. That shot has to get through, and it doesn't even have to be on net, but it has to get through because there was nobody behind him, and he's not fast enough to get back. He was back, but he didn't do much about it, just like he didn't do much about the two-on-one. Maybe that's where Tim Gleason needs to work with him. Uh, it's like, here's how we defend a two-on-one. <laughs> we we don't we either block the shot or we deny the pass. And he didn't do uh, he didn't do either. We, let, let's talk about one positive anyway. Seth Jarvis looks okay. Yeah, yeah, looks looks like I think what what you would expect him to look like um, coming off of last year. You know, he obviously became a better two hundred foot player last year and wanted to get back to being a more offensive player this year without giving any of that up. And we've seen that from him. I mean, this is a good sort of uh, development curve for him over the course of his career. It's kind of what, you know, people wanted to see from Marty Natchez. It was a little later in coming, but you're seeing Mm -hmm. it now. And I think he's bounced back from a little bit of a rough start um, to be more of the player he was last year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, and and with Svechnikov out, you need guys like Jarvis and Natchez to be at their best because that is still a big hole to fill. We've gotten used to it because it was all (laughs) of the playoffs and all of April and and all of that, but but you know, Andrei Svechnikov is the rare sort of player who makes space for himself and others, and they've been doing it so far without that. That said, I don't look at the Hurricanes start and say, oh, the problem is they don't have Andrei Svechnikov. <laughs> problem is they're giving up too many goals, right? And that you know, forwards obviously play a role in that. But I think you know, you and I so far here today have pretty much documented what the reasons for that are. Um, and here's the thing, you know, just to circle back to your point on Kachekov. I think the mistake a lot of people made, especially sort of in arguing with me on Twitter, is to think of Auntie Ranta as the second goalie and mm-hmm. Kachekov as the third. I've been telling people all along, the way to think of this is, even though Kachekov is not here and he's in Syracuse or wherever he ends up next, Frederick Anderson is the number one, Peter Kachekov is the number two, yep. and Auntie Ranta is the number three, which he's a role that he's sort of uniquely mentally suited for uh, to be here and not play very often, although obviously the, the start's not so great, but... Uh, his history indicates he'll be fine. Um, you know, the fact that we couldn't make it through the first month of the season without Frederick Anderson going out is a little concerning. But that's why, you know, people who are concerned about the three-goalie arrangement, you know, the history of Anderson and Ranta is that they are going to have injuries, although getting popped between the eyes is not necessarily something you can attribute to durability. Uh, but, but you know, th- th- that to me is like the Kachekov situation to me is sort of fine. And this is sort of how it was one way that it was going to play out. Let me ask you one more question about this, and then we'll turn our focus to football real quick with Luke DeCock of the News and Observer. So Andre and Sebastian Ajo are going to be back, and probably 
uh, pretty soon. My guess is if we don't see Sebastian, I don't think we'll see Sebastian tomorrow, but if we don't see him in Tampa on Tuesday, I would anticipate they'd both, maybe both be in the lineup against the Kraken uh, a week from yesterday uh, at PNC Arena when they have their second home opener. Um, what happened? Where, where, where do players go? We know Brendan Lemieux is going to come out of the lineup. Um, where do players go? Who's playing with Jack Drury and Stefan Nason on that last line? Uh, I mean, Tevo Taravainen, to me, is a top six guy. He's got to play with, with elite players. Otherwise, he's kind of wasting the, the ability. I mean, how do you set this up? I think you think of it not as a fourth line. Um, right. And, I, you know, it's it's whether they go 11 and 7 or back to 12 no, and 6. I think 11 and 7 is bad. Yeah, well, I agree with you, but that's not what Rod Burnamore thinks. And obviously mm-hmm. you and I have different feelings about Tony D'Angelo, and that's not what Rod Burnamore thinks, which someone said you need to have faith in the coach. And I was like, look, Rod Burnamore is a great coach and has done amazing things for this franchise, but that does not – he's not the Pope. He's not infallible. <laughs> um, you know, so – Hey, you know, I, hey. I think Adam Golden Studio with my friend Coach Pete Theroux, Capital Financial Advisory Group. One of the things you do is you plan for worst-case scenarios. Yeah. Why? Well, because it happens. For instance, you're 65. You're thinking about retirement. You've got a million dollars built up in your 401k. You never rolled that money into a lifetime income plan, and the market tanked, and most of your money in 401k was in high risk. Let's prevent that, putting some of the money you have in a lifetime income environment, then you never worry about market downfall. So call us. We'll show you in writing if you call right now. 888 or you can text Adam to 600-700 and maybe you get some coffee too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why? I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm 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 caping up for Rod. That's oh, all. No, look, I, look, I'm, I'm I, there's very little you can criticize about Rod Burnamore, but that that does not mean he's exempt from any criticism oh, at all. I think you know the 11-7 thing and this sort of. I don't think he likes it. By the way, whatever whatever you want to call it, drive to get Tony D'Angelo on the ice. Um, I think it's hurting the Hurricanes, and I think you know, and I think it, it sends a bad message when Jalen Chappell isn't playing. But well, we beat that. No, that's fine. To that. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, North Carolina, three-game run-up to the real stuff. I understand that they could, based on their history and the fact that Georgia Tech has been a thorn, that could be a problem next week. But this is a three-game run-up to the three-game finish in which North Carolina should be featured prominently in the college football playoff. Are we all prepared for that? No, I am. I've been talking about it since the start of the year. I think the thing that surprises me is how little Heisman talk is around Drake May, who I think is maybe not put up video game numbers, but has put the Tar Heels in position to win a lot um, and played to the best of his ability, especially with some questions at wide receiver. No, and North, look. Yes, Georgia Tech is tricky. That's a game that Tarios have lost before. I mean, obviously, if they have the lead in the final minute, Neil um, <laughs> won't make the same mistake others have made against Georgia Tech. Uh, but there's no reason why UNC shouldn't be 9-0, and very much in the national conversation, heading into what are really three very winnable final games that just have a lot of emotional weight to them. Obviously, you know, Duke may mm-hmm. at that point still be playing for a spot in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, at Clemson, this may not be a vintage Clemson team. That's still a very difficult place to play. And NC State, that's going to be NC State's season. So sure. it's it, there's a lot going on there, um, obviously. But, yes, I think North Carolina should be 9-0. and I think North Carolina should be very much in the CFP conversation. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the CFP committee, with Boo Corrigan, an ACC guy at the lead, 
handles the differences between UNC and Florida State, because I think those differences are real um, and they need to be parsed and assessed. But I'm not sure the committee's up to doing it. Uh, I was talking to uh, Chip Patterson. He doesn't think that Michigan or Georgia right now would be in the top four of the college football playoff rankings. And uh, based on what they have accomplished, who have they beat uh, so far this season, I think North Carolina's non-conference schedule has been challenging without being really difficult, right? Minnesota's okay. Um, You know, uh, App State has turned out to be good but not great south carolina is okay and they have still have uh campbell left uh duke at florida state if riley leonard is a hundred percent how do you see that i think it's kind of a moot point because i don't think he's going to be a hundred percent regardless okay i think if he plays the question is going to be i think he'll be able to throw the ball um, based on what he was able to do this week in practice. I think he'll be able to run a little bit. The question is, will he have that slippery elusiveness that makes him Riley Leonard, the ability to shed tackles, to turn sacks into plus plays? He's been the Mr. Clean Magic Eraser for the Duke offense, basically mm-hmm. turning what should be huge momentum plays for the defense into huge momentum plays in the for the offense, just because the defense can't tackle him. Uh, so the question is, an 85 or 90% Riley Leonard can he do all those other things? I think so, probably, because he's a good athlete and he'll make it work. Can he be that elusive player uh, that changes you know, negatives into positives for Duke against a team and a defense that has a lot of athletes where he's going to need his full capability of doing that um, to give Duke the best chance to win? I, I think that's the real question for me. I assume uh, at this point that Riley Leonard will play. I assume he'll be something less than full strength, but something more than half strength. And I think it's a question of what he can and can't do that we're only going to find out on the field. I will say this, even with a 90, 90% Riley Leonard, based on the way Duke played against Clemson and Notre Dame, and both games were at home, mm-hmm. I think Duke has every chance to win this game. Mm-hmm. I think there's a decent shot that Florida State, all amped up at home, big crowd, is overlooking Duke in this game and does the same thing that Notre Dame did a few years ago when Daniel Jones went into South Bend and won um, and not realize they're in a game until it's too late. Yeah, Duke's real. Duke's defense is absolutely real. If Riley Leonard can't do the things that Riley Leonard does, if he can't be elusive, uh, then he should not play in this game because he's only going to hurt himself more and it's going to damage the rest of Duke's season. I'm not saying Duke should, like, you know, sacrifice this game, but... If Riley Leonard's not 100%, you know, then he shouldn't play in it. And let Henry Bielen, the the, the fourth, chuck the ball because he is a great thrower. Uh, but I don't think Duke's going to beat them unless they have Riley Leonard and the ability to run and make uh, and just change the game that way. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, to, to me, that's what it, what it hinges on. And I think Duke's defense is good enough to slow Florida State down. Final thing for you, but uh, 32nd. It's ours. It's the first one, Luke. The Merseyside Derby. It's at Anfield. Liverpool has given up the first goal in five of their first eight matches. What do you think? I mean, I remember where I was the last time Everton won at Anfield, and it was not the state of North Carolina. <laughs> um, it's been so long. 13 big, years ago, right? There was a big debate among North among, um uh, Everton fans, the right. Everton community, whether the Anfield half of the Dar- the Derby has lost some of its 
Yeah. People aren't as emotional about it as mm-hmm. they used to be because they've been beaten down by not having won there in so long and that we should just put all our chips on the Goodison Derby and just deal with that. Uh, I think this Everton team is capable of beating Liverpool. I agree uh, I with like you. I what I've seen over the last few weeks. I think there's some cohesiveness there, some coherence there that wasn't there before. Uh, they've scored a few goals, which is a novel concept for Everton. Um, so I, I, I think I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance they catch Liverpool like Florida State and Duke looking past them a little bit. Sounds impossible to say in a Merseyside derby, but it's certainly possible given the history of this fixture. So um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but it's always the hope that kills you. And I don't have a ton of hope. <laughs> uh, I do. I think it's going to be a heck of a match. I really do. I think uh, Everton will score first and we'll see if Liverpool can uh, can climb over it. And get to the line. All right, Luke. Good luck. Uh, good luck to. It's early. Get up early tomorrow. Uh, and yeah, then, it is early. I, I will say this based on your prediction: if Everton scores a goal, first, last, whenever, I will actually take that and run with it. If it's one nil, one nil, one one, two one, whatever, I, okay. I will take a goal at this point in the life cycle of this Everton team. I love it. You're a real. Right. You're a real football fan, Luke. Good luck tomorrow. Thank you, <laughs> Luke DeCock. It's like. That's why I, I look at Everton. If you're an Everton fan, man, you're in because they have been hard to root for. Hard to root for. Are you ready for the big game? At The Designery, we can help you arrange your kitchen in the perfect way to feed everyone coming over for the big game. I'm Dana Merrill, the owner of The Designery in North Raleigh. And I am True Merrill. I am the project manager. The Designery is a lovely kitchen, bath, and closet remodeling company. We do pretty much any of the utility spaces in your house. If you want to store things in your cabinets, if you want to work on things on your countertops, if you want to uh, have a floor that can get wet or muddy, we're the place to help you fix your home up. We are the Designery North Raleigh, located at 3030 Wake Forest Road in the Holly Park Plaza. We would love to see you or visit our website at thedesignery.com.